Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Many parishes around the world are in a state of slow decline and congregations are growing older. Does that sound familiar? But also many dioceses are reimagining their role in building into their local priests and parishes in a way that makes a real difference. Today, I'm gonna take you to the other side of the world, to Brisbane, Australia, and we're gonna speak with Deacon Peter Pelican. Not only does he have the coolest name ever, he's a cool guy, and he's gonna share some of the work that Archbishop Mark Coleridge has commissioned to turn the tide of decline. Lift off and the clock has started. Deacon Peter Pelican, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to see you, Ron. <laughs> We're just joking before we started that there's a, a sweat storm happening in Brisbane because it's so hot and humid and I'm in the middle of a snowstorm. I don't know when this podcast will be aired, but we are definitely on opposite <laughs> sides of the globe. Indeed. <laughs> what do you share for our listeners, uh, your role and, and kind of what you're doing right now? Sure. So uh, my role is I'm the Executive Director of Evangelization Brisbane. Uh, it's an agency of the Archdiocese of Brisbane. Uh, it, it's a medium-sized diocese in global standards. It's large for Australia. We have about 94 parishes, about 15 or so communities. Um, and our role is to work with parishes and communities to help them come to life, uh, to form people well at every age and stage, and, and to try and uh, turn around the um, the trends. You know, at the moment, the trends are that we're in slow decline and we want to turn that around, we want to stop that, and then we want to lift it. So uh, it's, it's a big job and it's, it's one parish at a time, but yeah, <laughs> that's the plan. It's true, isn't it? It's not something that you can mandate everybody to do. And hey, guys, this no. is, these are the marching orders. It really is one parish at a time. And and I suppose, mm. you know, Father James would often say, you know, parishes change when people change. Yep, and dioceses exactly. change when parishes change. And so it really is, it, it comes down to transform, a transformed life. And mm. uh, maybe on that note, tell me a little bit about you. How, how did you come to, to faith in Christ? What did that look like? Uh, yeah, so I'm a bit of a strange breed because I grew up outside the Catholic Church. Um, I, I, my dad was a, a Protestant minister and my grandfather was a Protestant minister. So I sort of was almost born on the steps of church, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> Sunday was always church morning and night. And Protestants <laughs> go to church off Sunday morning, 9am, and so Sunday night, 6pm. So church all my life. But um, I remember being about eight years old and asking, you know, mum and dad, oh, how do you become a Christian? You know? And they said, well, you classic sort of um, Protestant perspective, you know, well, you, sure. you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and you invite him into your heart um, and you believe in him as your Lord and Savior. So I have a really distinct memory, actually, of, of doing that um, even now, like just being in my room on my own that night, um, you know, before bed and praying a, a prayer around that way and feeling a sense of God's presence there, you know, in a memorable way and knowing that from that day, I was going to follow Jesus. I was going to be his disciple. Um, so that's where it began for me. Um, and then, you know, I don't know how many years later, I read my way into the church as I read <laughs> theology and church history and <laughs> discovered that, uh, you know, all the church fathers were actually in the, much more aligned with the Roman Catholic tradition than with where I was. And for a bunch of reasons that we could do another podcast on, uh, ended up, uh, you know, becoming a Catholic. So. That's amazing. We will do a podcast on that someday because I know it is a, an incredibly beautiful story. So that's so cool. And so this place of, of surrender for you, even as a young boy, and just choosing to follow mm -hmm. Jesus and, and where that took you. And so that's so cool. And here you are now the executive director of Evangelization Brisbane, that arm within your diocese that really is focused. You guys have an incredible strategic plan. And you mentioned that yeah. it's on your website. We're going to include that for folks in the show notes. What's, your, what's the website, though, for? Uh, it's just evangelizationbrisbane.com, I think. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. And, and so there's yeah. an incredible, but I, I'd like to talk about some of the elements of it because it really is well done. And so many of the things that you break down there, I, I just jump for joy. Um, right. And, and I, I guess maybe part of it starts with, in the Archbishop's initial letter, talks about intentionality. Say a little mm. bit more about that. Yeah, so one of the challenges, I think, in our Catholic world 
is that we're not intentional with what we're doing. We, we tend to follow mass schedules. Uh, a priest comes to a new parish, it's like, when are the masses? Where are the masses? And how do I get to all of them uh, in <laughs> over a weekend? You know, uh, a priest might say, uh, you know, anywhere between four and eight masses over Saturday, Sunday, <laughs> depending on their schedule, you know. Um, and so the mentality is we've just got to keep the show going as it is um, without any sense of, well, hang on, what are, why does the church exist? You know, what is the mass that's at the center of the church and what's all the things that surround the mass um, that, that bring the mass to life in a meaningful way? Because it's, it's not that the mass is not the Christian life. It's the source and summit of the Christian life. And that tells us that there's actually a whole life there. There's a, there's a mountain that the mass is supposed to be the summit of, right? And it's like the mountain is missing. Um, it's just like it's just become the christian life rather than the the source and the summit Um, like there's nothing in between uh so what does it mean then for a diocese and then you know going you know digging down more what does it mean for a parish or a community Mm. to be intentional about understanding its mission why does it exist and how does it do that more effectively so it's its mission is not just to say lots of masses it's actually to make disciples it's to go and make disciples. You know, what does Jesus say to his, at his ascension? Go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, how are we doing that? And if, if we're not intentional about that, then what we do is we just retain the people that we have and we don't engage anyone else. And we even struggle to retain the people that we have because we're not engaging them in new ways and they get bored or they, you know, are not discipled and formed appropriately. And so we're seeing that sort of trend downwards um, we're seeing the average age uh higher and so what does it mean to be intentional about growing your parish about growing your church about forming and making disciples i love that let, let me ask you something let's say five years from now you and your team are ridiculously successful like you've just been blessed beyond your wildest dreams and pope francis sends a, a recruit a, a team of reporters from rome to come do an article that's going to be around the world what's the headline of that article going to read <laughs> uh, that's a good question uh diocese um explodes with an encounter with god with jesus Okay. And I think, I mean, the, the whole, the, the thing that people often don't realize is that Jesus Christ is still incredibly relevant to us all. And sometimes we spend our whole time trying to change doctrines and dogmas or disciplines in the church because we think if the church just changed this or changed that, then it would be relevant. But actually, whether or not the church changes anything, our message is the thing that brings life. And our message is, a, is not just information it's a person right it's it's jesus and jesus is present at every mass and he's present through the the word and the the preaching and the liturgy um and in the priest and we have jesus to share with people right now and it's jesus that transforms lives and and puts in people by the power of his holy spirit uh, a hunger and a deep desire to encounter god to love god and then to love others and so you know if we can get even in our strategic plan, we're saying, you know, we want to try and work closely with five parishes to work on deeply with those parishes on their planning and on um, on every aspect of their parish so that we can get those parishes to really embody communities that are encountered and, and surrounded, uh, well, uh, centred on Jesus. And so, you know, in a perfect world, if that happens really well and, and people discover God personally in those environments, it brings them to life. And when the people come to life, the church comes to life. And if you get five parishes that all come to life, then it starts to spread. You know, it's, mm. it's, um, you know, it's a Christianity is a contagious thing. I think C.S. Lewis talked about it as the good infection. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the opposite to COVID, right? We want the COVID <laughs> infection rate. <laughs> but an infection with Jesus. So. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, just think about what we're talking about. I think you mentioned that the Brisbane Diocese has approximately 90 churches, 90 parishes. Yeah, yeah. 94 parishes. Yeah. 94 parishes. And you're saying if we can get five. Now, yeah. if somebody's outside the church hearing us talk, they're like, they're probably thinking, what do you mean? Aren't all 94 of those churches ridiculously focused on Jesus and crazy things happening? And I think the truth is no. It's not. Mm. And, you know, Mm. I remember sitting with a bishop a number of years ago at his kitchen table, and he just shared with me very intimately, just poured out his heart of 
some of the things that he had hoped he'd accomplish over his term. And none of those things had happened. He'd spend a lot of money on a strategic plan, and every single church in his diocese, none of them were even hitting their minimum financially, let alone making oh. disciples. Not one. Wow. And yeah. so I said to him at the end, I said, Bishop, I'll tell you, here's what I'll do for you. Your problems are far bigger than, than I can do too much for. And he was concerned because in three years, this person was going to be re retiring. And he was afraid. He's like, what legacy am I leaving for this next bishop? And he was really angst about it. So I said to this, I said, listen, I'll tell you what, you give me two churches. And this was before we had a coaching network, before I was doing any coaching. So you give me two churches and I'll coach them for free. And I'll yeah. help those two churches turn around because I know how to turn around churches. Yeah, and so yeah. um, he said, he looked at me, he just he said, you would do that for me? I said, yes, I would. Cause I felt so bad for him. Yeah. A couple of weeks later, uh, I reached out to him and he said, can you give me a bit more time? I said, yeah, no problem. And uh, a couple of weeks later, he got back to me and he said, there's not a single priest who's open to receiving coaching and getting help. And I'm thinking, there literally isn't one church, not one, in your entire diocese doing wow. anything of any significance. And all of them would rather continue on that trajectory than change. Mm -hmm. I bring that up because you're talking about five churches out of 94. That sounds like, of course, you're going to get five churches, but you know, not necessarily. And I hope you do. I, you're, mm. you're incredibly inspiring. <laughs> I'm sure your team's going to do a good job. But that's the state <laughs> of the church in many cases. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a sort of a culture in our church that's anti-leadership and it's anti-change and it's it's a fear of change as well mm. and as soon as you say to a, a parish we want to partner with you and, and help you grow if the priest doesn't have uh you know is not graced with humility and an openness to learning and changing and growing then you can't get anywhere because instead of having a um a growth and discipleship and empowerment mentality you, you've got fear and control you know and it's all about who has control <laughs> rather than what what are we actually trying to achieve here yeah. and so you know in in brisbane we've been blessed uh because or even already this year we've got a few two parishes that have fully come on board with us with the strategic planning process so that's a that's great awesome. start and it's surprising yeah. who comes on board actually sometimes there's people that come out of the woodwork that you didn't expect and we've got a couple of other parishes as well that have come on board with our youth project as well and and they've been priests that I've been really impressed with uh, because not only are they passionate about the mission and they want to see their church grow, um, and the reality is not every church, not every priest actually is interested in church growth, right? It's a bit of a concern, but that's our reality. Uh, but we've got some guys that are really passionate about it and keen to work with us, and mm -hmm. and they're just beautiful, humble, authentic priests that love God, love the mission. And as soon as you say to them, "Can we help you?" they're like, "Of course you can," you know? <laughs> <laughs> as if we'd say no to. To, to, you know to help <laughs> come and drive our youth come and help help us plan you know help us think yes. intentionally um and so they've been really uh, great and we're only in our first year so yeah uh, you know it's i'm always of the mind that we overestimate what we can achieve in one year and we underestimate what we can achieve in five you know so yeah so it, we've got a good start there but yeah there's more to do and you're quite right there's plenty of guys that, <laughs> that don't want anyone to come in well, and we've had that, you know, we've offered yeah. coaching to some guys and they've actually said, no, nah, we don't want that. Yeah, no. And that's yeah. fair. And in some cases, I think, and you know, I think some people hopefully are thinking, no, I got this. And they're still passionate about what they can do. And I mm. think, well, good for you. Like, go at it. But, but honestly, yeah. measure, you know, define what success looks like. Please measure it and, and make mm. sure you're aware if you're on track or not. Because if you're not on track and you've tried everything you have, then maybe help is, 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 isn't out of the question. But at the same time, yeah. you know, if you, can, if you don't look at, at, at markers of fruitfulness and you just stay busy, that's a terrible recipe. Yeah, yeah. It's a terrible Absolutely. recipe. I mean, and as a leadership principle, the, the concept of collaboration, it's, it's the way you build team and it's the way you grow. You know, if you're not willing to collaborate with others, all you've got is your own brain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's crucial for priests, you know, with their own pastoral councils and stuff. But the fact is we can all learn all the time. Like no one is ever the, the sage on the stage who knows everything. And so, you know, whether you've got a jolly master's degree or a PhD in, in church leadership or not, we're all learning from each other all the time. Every yeah. conversation I have with you, I learn something more about leadership and Every conversation I have with, with anyone, a priest or, or even a 15-year-old in a youth group, 
you're learning something, right? And so the foundation to growing as a leader has got to be teachability and, and humility and just oh. going, hey, we need your, your input, your feedback, you know, whether you're an export or not. We don't care. We want to know what, what you're experiencing so that we can factor that in in our mission. I love um, that. That is so cool. Listen, Peter, just let's talk a little bit about teams because did when you when you took on this role with Evangelization Brisbane, did you build it from the ground up in terms of a team? Uh, we, I, I, I took over an existing staff of, of about uh, 25, 28 or so in the office and then we've got a retreat centre as well. So it's a total of around 40. But uh, the first thing that we needed to do was just structure um, yes. because there wasn't a, a structure where, whereby there was a leadership team. And so it was sort of the, the, the boss and then a lot of direct reports um, and they were a bit unusual. So the first thing we had to do was develop a structure that was functional because, you know, if you're going to lead any team, you, you can't actually manage everybody in your, your team. It's true for a parish too. You know, you've got 20 or so really have all of those reports to the parish priest, right? Yeah. So we, we, um, we worked out a structure that um, represented the key areas that we were already working in and needed to work in. And then we appointed associate directors um, in those areas. So I've got a, a leadership team now of, where I've got five associate directors. So I've got children's and families, youth, young adults, adult formation, parish leadership, and inclusion. And so that team of five is kind of the, the senior leadership team of Evangelization Brisbane. And the difference that that makes for me as, as the leader is just huge because it means that I'm not doing anything on my own. I've got a team with me that are giving me their advice and support uh, and when I've had to come and make some difficult decisions, and we've gone through some structuring changes this year, some restructures, and uh, you know we've had to sort out a, a bunch of things. When you've got a team, it's a team effort. And even though I might be the the mouthpiece of it and the face of it, I've got the support um, right through the the agency from that team. Whereas if you're on your own, it's on you, you know. And someone's upset with you, and you got no support. <laughs> But you've also haven't had that opportunity to listen and to get the feedback from others and get get the sense from what's on the ground. So leading from team is absolutely essential. And so I've had to put that thing together. And I've got some great people there. I've been really blessed with some excellent staff um, to support in that way. I love that. And as I read your document, uh, I, I noticed you very specifically said it's an inverted triangle and that you mm. guys are supporting the others to unleash them. And I just that just made yeah, yeah. my day. Because Great, so often yeah. it's top down and it's, you know, you report to me, I'm oh, over yeah. you. And yeah, look, we are, we are not of an era anymore that anybody responds to hierarchical power. Like it's just, you know, it's a boss, whether you're in the church and you're, a, you know, a bishop or a priest or a cardinal or something, just saying you have to do this because I'm the, you know, more senior or whether you're in a, in a jolly corporation where you're in a big bank and you're the CEO of a big corporation. If you go, oh, I'm the CEO, therefore, you've, you will not retain staff, you will not inspire staff, you will not keep staff, you will not get your team to work towards a cause and they will not be independent. Um, they will only do what they have to do because they feel like you're, you're um, just a slave driver. Um, it's just not the way to lead. So we wanted to make it really clear that that's not our model of leadership. It's not hierarchical. Um, I'm not the executive director because I'm the boss. It just means that I'm responsible for the overall direction of the agency and I need to basically ensure that the direction of the agency remains within um, the goals that the Archbishop uh, wants to promote. You know? So my, my job is to, to hold it up rather than hold it down. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, a, that's it's a great a mental image. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's just crucial that, like, like, uh, and I think this is one of our challenges in the Catholic Church too, where we, we tend to have this mode of you can't be a leader unless you're ordained or you're a priest or a bishop and the leadership of the church is therefore clergy. And though there's some part truth in that in terms of, you know, we can't get away from the fact that actually our church is canonically, it's led by priests um, and, and bishops. But what is leadership, right? It's actually not ordination and it's not position. It's, it's influence. And so though yeah, you might have a priest who canonically has all the power in his local parish, often there'll be a, a leader or a chairman, a chairperson of a, a pastoral council or a finance council who if you hang out in the parish long enough, you discover that they are actually the leader. And why are they the leader? Because they're the most influential person in the room mm. and they're either the gatekeeper or they're the empowerer. And so 
it's just changing our idea of leadership. Like leadership is not equated to position. It's equated to, lead, to influence. And if we are in leadership, then our goal is not position, it's influence. How do I influence more people rather than how do I get a new title to put on my email signature? You know? So I can send it to my mom so she'll be proud of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at this. Look at all my letters. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because when you talk about influence like that, and, and like you say, it doesn't take long before you're in a new environment where you see who the players are in terms of the people yeah. with capacity to, to lead and influence. And, and some people are threatened by that. Hmm. And it's like, wow, that's too bad because oftentimes those people aren't looking to aren't looking to take your job in, as a clergyman. They're looking to no, support you. No. Their their hearts burns to work yeah, in yeah. collaboration with the yeah. parish priest and his team. Like that's my experience. Yeah. I don't often see the odd time you do, but I'll tell you, it's that's a that's a diabolical rarity. For the yeah, most yeah. part, people's hearts burn to work in communion with the parish priest to do unbelievable things yeah. for Jesus. Amen. That's- and it's, it's, I mean, what you picked up there is, is another crucial thing in terms of when you've got people in your organization that are really passionate, and sometimes they're passionate objectors, right? <laughs> they're they're sure. like trying to get in the way and they're fired up and they're not happy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're, they're writing letters or they're trying to get a jolly a little, um, what do you call it, a, a petition (laughs) to to make their point and they're going to gather all their people to tell you that you're doing the wrong thing they're the people that we need to like sit down with and and bring on board because they have a a real passion for the church like it's often so meaningful to them that they've gone to put all this effort into raising their concerns and blocking it because you're doing the wrong thing and so the question as uh, as a leader in the church is not how do i just shut this person down but how do I take their energy and their passion and redirect it so it becomes like useful to the mission of the church? Um, and, and that's a real challenge. But it, often the, the, sometimes the, the people that are most frustrating are the ones that have the passion. And if we can release them into their passion in a meaningful way, in a way that works within what we're trying to achieve, yes. then they become our biggest allies. I'm pretty um, sure but that Jesus takes did a that with Paul, didn't he? Perfect example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if we if we could just make everybody blind for three days, then <laughs> heal them. There's no way they could deny it was from yeah, Jesus. Yeah. If you don't change your mind, you won't get your eyes back. But uh... <laughs> that, that's a different strategy. If, if that works, yeah, yeah. Strategic document. You let me know. We'll update it. Yeah. It's but... a little bit Jedi, isn't it? You know? <laughs> it sure just is. Wave my hand. And... <laughs> I love that. So it sounds like you inherited this team and then changed the structure. My guess is you don't begin to do those things without without recognizing culture is going to be a part of what you inherited. And culture probably is part of your vision if you're going to work in a cohesive way that's aligned. Tell me a little bit about about your perception of that in terms of what you inherited and how you guys, like your vision for that and kind of Tell me a little about that. Yeah, yeah. Look, the culture question is arguably the biggest challenge for the Catholic Church in the world today. What is our culture? Is it a culture that loves people, engages people? Uh, is it a culture that empowers people? Is it a culture of faith, hope, and love? Is it a culture of joy and peace? You know, when you meet Catholics, are they joyful people who would love to meet you and are just excited that you're also a Catholic? And often the answer to that question is a big no, right? Uh, so when it comes to, um, you know, we can be the grumpiest people in the world, you know. Uh, you walk into a parish you've never been in before and they kind of look at you weird and what are you doing with my seat? Um, and so these culture, the, the question of culture is hugely important. And, you know, we talked about intentionality at the beginning and we will not achieve anything in any organization unless we intentionally lead the culture and what does that mean it means well what what do we want to become culturally and you know you've done some really great pd work on this and i just followed your actual uh example you you talked about it i think that uh it was a proclaim or something in 2018 or something where it's just that simple thing you get a whiteboard out okay what what team do we not want to become you know and you go through all the things that we don't want to be. Okay, what do we want to become? And you go through, all right, how are we going to keep each other accountable to become the team that we want to become? I just followed your, your lead there. We, just, we literally did that with the whole staff member, not just the leadership team, the whole staff at the beginning of the retreat at the beginning of um, this year. 
we did exactly that and we talked about what our values were going to be and it just meant that we set out clear values you know being christ-centered being humble being authentic being inclusive all, all those things you can see them in our plan and it means then that we can hold each other accountable to that now it's one thing to do that process initially it's another thing to actively lead it and so some of the things we've done there is at our monthly staff meetings, um, I get one of the associate directors to do a, a reflection on one of the values so that the values keep in front of us. You know, So last time, uh, one of our guys did a presentation on humility and it was just excellent. You know, Not only are you hearing good, good um, you know, content, but it just ties in beautifully with what we're trying to achieve. But it also means then when you've got someone who's working outside of those values, you can sit them down and say, hey, you remember we talked about this, we've got it written on our wall, we talked about these things, how are we going here? Have you had and to so do that being, yet? Uh, yeah, we have on a couple yeah. of occasions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. I would yeah. expect you to have to because human, yeah. human nature is what it is. And because yeah. if you put those on your wall and you never have to have those conversations, you probably really don't mean what you said. Exactly. Because we're all exactly. going to fall short from time to time. Yeah. And I think one of our challenges in the, in the Catholic world, again, is we have a culture where we're not very good at speaking directly to each other, like just sitting down and going, hey, this didn't go so well. Can we actually talk about that? Or I'm concerned about this. Um, it's a really strange culture. And, you know, you could surmise about what that might be. But one of the challenges, I think, is it's, it's not um, celibacy. So don't hear me as having a go at priestly celibacy, but the experience of celibacy means that you're not, whether you're a priest or not, it means you're not in the same kind of relationship where there's a need to negotiate regularly and talk openly. And what I mean by that is, is for those of us who are married, every decision you make, every important decision is not made alone. You know, you, you actually have to signal where you're going, what you want to do, and then get the feedback and go, well, is my wife on board with this? Is it, how is this going to affect my children? And so marriage and the family uh, unit in itself forces a certain degree of of learning how to speak openly, learning how to negotiate, learning how to make decisions in collaboration with others. And when you don't have that experience at all, and then you're made a uh, parish priest, so you've got all the power to make all the decisions. And canonically, a a priest doesn't have to do much consultation or collaboration at all if they don't want. They can just go, no, no, I'm the parish priest, and canon law says so, they can. that means then they can make decisions on their own without negotiation. And also they're not the experience again of being single all your life means that you can not always, but you can be in a situation where you haven't had to have many difficult conversations. So then when you have to have them, they're really sort of confronting. And so that's something that, you know, we, we need to do work with, with our clergy on is how do we have difficult conversations and how do we have honest conversations so that we're not sort of getting the message through by a gossip or via three people or so-and-so thinks this and it goes through three hands before it gets to you. But you, we sit down with each other, we look each other in the eyes, we appreciate one another, but then we raise our issues. Um, and that's just something as a culture that we've got to work on. Um, it's something that we probably need to look at more in our seminary training as well. Yeah. And I don't know how people get from here to there without outside help. I had a fellow call me uh, just mm. two weeks ago looking to discuss being coached. And as mm. we began to talk, he just said, I'm getting stuck. I've been trying to live out some of these principles. I'm like, hey, good for you. And I said, tell me a little bit about your senior leadership team. He says, yeah, I don't have one. Uh, I'm too afraid to pick one because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And I said, okay. Yeah. Uh, and so I talked a little bit more to him about his strength themes. And then I said, okay, if you want to get coaching, here's where we're going to have to go right off the bat. And it's going to yeah. be really hard because you can't keep holding on to those beliefs, self-limiting beliefs you have and expect mm. to have explosive impact. You're going yeah, yeah. to have to grow as a leader. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. th- these, these are techniques or quick fixes. You're going to have to grow. And so before yeah. you, I said, I want you to go home, pray about it. I want you to think about it because that's the pathway to where you want to go is your particular growth. And so we're going straight down that road if you want coaching. He said, yeah, yeah I'll get back to you. I said, I don't know if I'll ever hear from you. Because, <laughs> yeah. because I don't know how somebody's going to get there by themselves. They have a whole lifetime of, of relating in a particular way. And so if they're yeah, going to relate yeah. in a, a new way, that's so risky. And you do mm. need skills. You do need support. You do need to be yep. able to unpack that when you mess it up and not mm. to give up because it is the right thing to do. So I hear you. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and I mean, part of that, and it was sort of emphasis saying there is, you know, as soon as you pick a leadership team, you've by just in the process, you've excluded some, you know, you've had to pick, you know, six of your best. And therefore, there'll be other people that think, well, I've been in this parish for 45 years, you know. Um, <laughs> say that with my Aussie accent. <laughs> That's a good job. 45 years, mate. <laughs> what are you doing, father? <laughs> you know, so then you get these people who um, are disappointed then because they're not part of the team and then they're a bit offended. And look, you cannot do anything anywhere without upsetting someone. And we just have to get a little bit over our... Um, our desire to just be nice to everyone because Jesus wasn't, right? Give me an he example. Actually, I agree. Give me an example. Yeah, yeah. Well, a, a bunch of examples, right? He, he calls 12 disciples, right? He, not everybody who follows him, he makes an apostle. He makes some apostles, but not everyone. And then some who, you know, have questions for him, you know, namely often the Pharisees, he calls them brood of vipers, <laughs> sons of hell, you know? <laughs> like, well, have you ever had to had that conversation, stuff? Peter, with anybody? Oh, look, only with bishops. <laughs> <laughs> Joking. That was the joke. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Archbishop Mark's going to give uh, you look, a call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, no, it's um. Look, sometimes you actually have to say, "Now, this is the direction that we're going, and we'd love you to be a part of it. We need you to be a part of it in this role." Um, if you don't want to be in that role, we don't have another role for you. And, and you know, even in our own team, we've, we've had a little bit of, um, we've, you know, we, we've got a bit of turnover in our staff, but some retiring, some finishing up. Uh, and some of those we've had that conversations with, we've one under a particular role, and it's really not a role that, that we as a team have deemed to be uh, the right fit for them. And so we've had to say no. It's disappointing for them. Um, it can create some tension because that they can be disappointed with us and then it, there's the possibility then they, that, that people will speak negatively about us and what we're doing. But if you just keep everyone where they are doing the same thing, it's, it's the old maxim, isn't it? You know, if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got and we're <laughs> growing. We're, we're declining at the moment. So if we don't change something, we're just going to keep declining and that's not an option. Amen. Amen. I love that. And the reality is, and oftentimes when I coach and I talk to leadership teams, particularly if there's a change in, in, pa- in parish priests, and I, I try to avoid that. I, I, I try not to coach into people who don't have a, an agreed upon long-term leadership yeah. commitment at their parish, because then it wastes my time because the next guy mm. that comes in can completely undermine it. But yeah. um, when they do shift, I always say to the leadership team, I need you to look that new parish priest in the eye and let them know that you're there to serve and mm-hmm. that you'll stay on as long as they want and that you recognize that they're going to have to build a team around their personality if, in fact, they even want to lead out of a team. But you may not be yeah. you're the right person for that last priest. You may not be the right person for this priest. And I need you to, to release that. And, yeah, and I and, and sometimes leadership teams need to shift, and so you might be the person yeah, yeah. that got that team to that point, but you might not be the person that gets them to the next point, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you don't have value. It doesn't mean you yeah. still can't lead and have a huge impact. So mm. I always ask people, like whatever your title is, whatever your role is, please don't define yourself. Don't get yourself a dead yes. Matt. So good, so good, so true. And you know, as soon as you think that you're irreplaceable or that you you have to stay in a role, you actually make yourself a bit redundant, anyway. Um, and I think that principle that you're talking about in the local parish is just as true in a diocese, and it's just as true for clergy. You know, like um, I've had the the blessing of being able to work closely with Archbishop Mark, and he's someone that has been a huge blessing to me personally, like working closely with him and learning from him, and he's just an amazing human being. Um, but he's going to be in the diocese for a certain time, and I'm a lot younger <laughs> than he is. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say a lot. You can catch Bishop Mark hears this, you know. There's an age difference between us, you know. Let's, let's he's say. probably going to be out of his role before you're out of yours. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> so, you know, a, a new archbishop comes in. And I, I, in my role, it's exactly the same for me. And, and in, in, even for every priest, you know, it's saying, well, Archbishop, this is what I've been doing. This is what I'm trying to achieve. That might work for your vision and passion for this diocese, but it may not. And if it changes, um, you know, I'm happy to adapt to what it is that you're looking for. And if you want someone else, I'm okay with you moving me on. You know, like, wow. I, 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 <laughs> we have to be big enough to do that. <laughs> you know? Imagine if everybody just like 
just let, what, like what you just said, imagine if everybody took that perspective with their roles, whether they're in the diocese, whether they're in the local parish, whether they're in ministry, like what if we all took mm. that disposition? What a humble disposition to take because the, the opposite of that is I'm going to fight you on it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, that's yeah. just tough. Like we all go yeah. through different seasons of our life that we're able to have huge impacts or not different roles, what have you. And boy, when we can accept it and roll with it and honor the people that mm-hmm. are in leadership, because let's face it, sometimes the leadership isn't really that exciting to follow. I mean, let's face it. There mm-hmm. are some people mm-hmm. who are filled with zeal and passion in their local pre- parish, and they just can't seem to find that same common ground with their local parish priest. And yeah. yeah, It's a tough season. And look, it comes down as well to, and we talked about this, I think before the podcast began, but, that personal relationship with God that you carry. And so my job is actually just to do God's will as much as I can in every situation. But I recognize that God uses people, God appoints people, God is involved in the appointments of priests and bishops and whatever. And that can be extraordinarily uh, great sometimes and it can be extraordinarily frustrating sometimes. And we have to remember that actually we're serving God, right? in whatever we do. And so even if a guy comes in who really makes it difficult, we have to keep a soft and gentle heart to God and not the moment we get angry and we get bitter with the church and with a priest and with a bishop and we start to resent them, we become useless in, in every part of our life, you know, because all we're doing is getting around complaining about stuff. And look, there is a heck of a lot to complain about in our church, no question, right? But what's the point? In doing that, if if we spend all our time just going, well, what are we doing for for children? What are we doing for families? Our average age is this. It's all bad news, you know. This priest, this priest, that priest, this bishop, whatever. No, 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 no. God has a mission for us. He wants us to join. Let's let's. Our prayer needs to be, God, I want to serve you. Open up the doors where you want me to serve. Um, help me to be humble. Help me to to honor our leaders and continue to honor our leaders publicly. Uh, it really worries me a bit when you see it on social media, how much Catholics are willing to just throw stones at their leaders. It's scary. And yeah, inappropriate. It's, <laughs> it's heartbreaking. And there, there's a, there's a tough tension there between like, cause I know you, Australia just went through a plenary session where you're listening. And I think sometimes yeah, yeah. people feel like they're not listened to. And so yeah, it can yeah. be so lonely and hard and, and spiritually exhausting when yep. you're seeing change and decline and your family's leaving, your friends are leaving and, and you're not supposed to say anything. You're supposed mm. to say everything's okay. It's not okay. And so yeah, yeah. there's no, a no, tough no. balance there, isn't there? To being chronically yep. critical uh, versus yep. zealous and, and, and knowing when to mm. speak. That's a, that's a tough balance. And, and I think a part of the balance there is how we go about raising our concerns. You know, Now, if you talk to Archbishop Mark, he will be able to tell you all the things that I've whinged about to him personally <laughs> and privately uh, because there are many things in the, in the Catholic Church that we need to address, right? But I don't get on my Facebook feed and my Instagram feed and yes. my Twitter feed and stuff and go blah, 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 right? I, I'm not throwing this public stuff because it dishonors the leaders, right? It's not yes. fair and I'd be undermining all our leaders, if I did that, and if I'm going to honour the people that I serve, I need to sit down with them and, and have the conversations with them directly mm. and also not only have the conversations with them directly but allow them to make the decisions they want. You know, So I can bring something before Archbishop Mark, our Episcopal Council, a local priest even, and say, look, you might consider this. I'm concerned about this, this, and this. Uh, I think this is what's going to happen if we continue in the same direction. So I've, I've brought it up with them. I've looked them in the eye. I've, I've told them. But then I've got to have the humility then to allow them to do what they want with that. And they might say, you know, thanks for letting us know. Um, we're not going to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I've told you. But this, this sort of public shaming that goes on in our church is a huge issue. And it's not a way to lead and it's not a way to bring change. What if there's somebody, Peter, who's hearing you right now and they're saying, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what I've done. What advice would you have for them? You know, they've been at that for a lot for the last six months, a year, and they've just been, it's been yeah. bent. It's been their, it's been their expression. What would you say to them? Uh, I would say, uh, first of all, <laughs> stop the public posting. All right. It, it's the Matthew 18 principle. When, if you've got a, an offense with your brother, talk to your brother. Um, if you can't win him over, then you might bring someone else with you. But 
there's not a, a um, freedom in scripture to to go and publicly undermine someone who we haven't spoken with yet. So uh, my first thing would be to say, just stop posting now, um, but then write a, a letter or make a phone call or whoever it is that you've got an issue with, whether it's a priest or a bishop, say, look, um, I would love to to sit down with you and talk about some concerns I have about these issues and some solutions that I think might be worth you considering. So you're not coming to the person with your problems, you're coming to them with solutions that they can sit, consider. And then, you know, it, one of the challenges is if you've gone publicly swinging, they might know you as a troublemaker already and might think, well, I don't even want to talk to that person because the, the way they've talked about me on Facebook or whatever, you know, I don't want to sit in the same room with them, right? So if, if you're in that situation, it would be worth even saying, look, I've realized that I've gone the wrong way about my frustration, I've said some things that I shouldn't have said, and I'm sorry for that. And I'd love the opportunity to sit down with you, apologize for my my online behavior and talk about some solutions and some issues that I think we can dialogue about and that you might consider mm. so that you're dealing with the person, you're treating the person with dignity and respect rather than this public shaming model. Uh, I think that's just absolutely crucial. And I would hope that all of my own staff do that as well. If they have an issue with me, I want to find out on social media, right? <laughs> Like it's just this it's just not fair. And if they did, I'd be furious with them. Because sure. I would feel like it's such an undermining of our relationship uh for them to do that. Like sit down, look me in the eye and, and jolly, say what you want to say. Mm. Um and let's talk about it. But it's it's really unfair to to swing in that way. Well, and, and it, it comes twofold, like because then there's that one situation or or, or I sub- yeah, where 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 you're in close proximity to the people that you're undermining, and then there's just hey, let's just take shots at the Catholic Church in general, or the Pope, yeah, or, yeah. you know, or, or the yeah. bishop, and you just feel you're you're so far removed from decision making at that level that, but you still mm. just feel like you can rip them apart. I was on a, a a meeting with a bunch of entrepreneurs, and there was a guest speaker, and and he was sharing his business. It was really nice to hear him. But then one of the interviewers said, "And hey, I understand you used to consider yourself a troll." And that's somebody who just goes picking fights all over the place mm. online. And he said, yeah, I was. He said it was like an addiction. I would just go mm. find things that I didn't agree with, and I'd just try to rip people apart. And he shared, and, and this really gave me some insight. He said, and then at one point, I tried to commit suicide. Wow. And, yep. And he said, I all was right. so broken and so dark. I was just spewing darkness into the world. and um, he said, part of my psychotherapy was to actually stop that immediately and start mm. putting good in the world online. And he said, yep. and he just listed some of the things that he does daily as part of his therapy. And so I just thought yep. to myself, I never thought about that behavior as maybe a sign of, mm. hey, are you okay? And so yeah, again, yeah. If, if you find yourself, you're listening and you're one of those people, like, are you okay? Like, and I mean that, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not being yeah. judgmental, like, but... Seriously, take a deep look inside because we do way better when we're working in communion with each other, when we're seeing the yep. best, calling out the best, and being the best for each other. And so, boy, that that yep. level of of cooperation. See, and so, mm. Deacon Peter, when I when I look at everything you're doing, I'm so excited, and I hope our listeners take the time to go into the show notes and click on the website and check out that document because I think it's really going to help them begin to see what's possible over and over again in every area of your document with all of your structure and your leadership teams. I see identifying, equipping, and raising up leaders Mm. as one of those primary things that each area has to do. Why is that so important? Uh, We have to empower leadership all the time. Uh, There's a a leadership theorist, um, whose name I can never pronounce because it's like S-E-N-G-E. I don't know if it's Sengi or Seng or something. It's Peter Seng. But he he talks about organization-wide leadership. And he basically, his theory is that every person in an organization is a leader. What does that mean? Every person has influence. So how do we get every person who has influence to use that influence for the good of the mission of the organization? Um, and that is absolutely true for the Catholic Church. And I think it's an important point even for those people that have been posting and are frustrated, right? Sure. It's, what, is, what is your sphere of influence? What is my sphere of influence? And how can I use that for good? And for someone who's really frustrated, right? Well, 
you might have this group of five families that all are just as frustrated as you. So why not pull those together once a month for a, a barbecue and a Bible study and pray for the church and thank God for the good things in the church and thank God, you know, for, for scripture and for this beautiful tradition that's been handed to us, even if the, um, it, it's not being practiced very well, you know. So you're actually taking that sphere of influence that you have and you're using it in a positive way and you're drawing people into, into hope and faith and love not into anger, resentment, and bitterness. Yes. Um, so spheres of influence. And so what we need to do in every area that is empower people. When we go into parish, we need people to lead adult formation. We need people who will lead in youth. We need people who will lead in inclusion, uh, children and families, whatever the area is. And we want to accompany them and, and scaffold them in their leadership because a lot of them don't have that experience of leadership. If you say, well, I want you to start a youth group and in three years' time I want it to have at least 50 people coming every Friday, that freaks them out. You know, the biggest youth group they've ever seen in their parish is like 10 people. I'm like, all right, we're going to help you do it, okay? We'll, yes. we'll bring some musicians. We'll work with you on a long-term plan. We'll, we'll go in your local school. We'll build a relationship with the school and the parish. We'll, we'll get in and promote in the high school. And, you know, all of a sudden you start to see young leaders emerge. And they get excited about what's happening, that they're a part of it. And we empower and empower and accompany. And I think on that, a key point there is when it comes to empowering leaders, it's a long-term show, right? You don't empower a leader by giving them a 10-day seminar on leadership. <laughs> like you can give them some great oil, you know, in 10 days. You can give them an encounter with Jesus and you can transform their understanding of their own personal faith. But building a leader takes years and it works yes. best in apprenticeship. So we've taken the view that wherever we go and work deeply in, we want to be there for at least three years because we, we think that three years is like a minimum requirement for accompaniment if you're going to help someone go from no concept of leadership and no concept of running a, whether it's a large youth group, a large children's ministry, a large adult formation program. They need that apprenticeship. And so the first year they're learning the ropes, we're almost doing it for them. The second year they're doing it, but we're with them. The third year they're basically running it and we're just giving them feedback. Um, and that way, at the end of that time, it's basically it's run by the local parish and they're not dependent on us anymore. And we're like high-fiving them going, this is great. You've got this huge youth ministry, a huge children's ministry. You've got families coming back to your church again because there's something for the kids to do uh, during Mass, if you're allowed yes. to say that. <laughs> <laughs> that is wonderful. I love that model. It really is. You, what I'm hearing as you speak is your identity is coming alongside of past uh, parish priests in their local setting and raising them up as leaders, equipping them to understand what it takes to, in, to identify, equip, and invest in others and release them in ministry so they can work together to do crazy things. You know, and yeah. so yeah, it might start for by you guys starting to do it for them, but it's so that eventually you can work yourself out of a job, pull out, and continue to watch mm. them thrive. I just love what yeah. you're doing. We're going to have you back. It's so fun to be able to do this at such an early phase for you guys in implementing this plan because it does take a long time to begin to change this. Uh, how can we pray for you uh, and your and what your and your team as as you go forward? Uh, yeah, great. I mean, praying for. Uh for our parishes and for our, the leadership in our parishes, uh, for our priests. You know, some of our priests have, have taken a pretty hard um, road in Australia. We've had a Royal Commission into um, institutional responses to sexual abuse and priests have had a pretty bad rap. They really have um, across the board. Just walking down, you know, this main street of Brisbane in a collar can be a front thing. And so, you know, though there's challenges in terms of uh, culture and leadership, um, they've also in a lot of ways been... Um, in some parts, uh, cultural, and we need um, Peter. I'm going to pause you there for a sec, and I'm going to pause you there for a sec because your sound broke up really bad right there. And so, oh, pick, no, that's okay. Uh, pick it up where was, you said. Was, I'll cut that out. So pick it up where you said it can be really difficult, even just to wear a collar. Like it can be confronting. So pick yeah. it up from there. So go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, it can be really difficult just to wear a collar down the main street of Brisbane because this such an association with priests and Australia pedophilia, you know, and a lot of jokes and snide remarks. And, you know, we've got so many great faithful priests that have walked a really hard road. And what can happen over a long period of time is you can lose energy and lose hope and you can think that there's no way forward, that there's no one with you, and it, it's all in decline. And so the prayer that I'd request is, is one uh, that 
our priests would again um, find hope for the future of the church and that they'd be inspired and empowered to be able to lead positive change. And so when we talk about leadership and being intentional in a parish, that they don't sort of hear that and think, oh, look, been there, done that. We tried that 30 years ago. You know, I've been here for this long and, you know, there's nothing you can show me that I haven't already seen. And rather than having that attitude of, of you know, it's kind of um, cynicism and sort of setting aside and say, no, God is breathing on our church. God still is wanting to draw people into a relationship with himself. God is calling me to be a part of that mission. And I know that, you know, I've tried some things in the past and I've had a hard road, but maybe there's something new here that I can learn and that I can grow in and so that I can see God use me again to draw people in. Uh, not just to do sacraments, not just to say masses and, and not just to hear confessions, but to make disciples and to see my local parish grow. So I think if we can pray for, for our priests that they'd be inspired, encouraged, um, empowered um, for the next season, that would be awesome. Amen. I'm giving that an amen. That was a prayer. That was awesome. And for all of you listeners, please pray for Brisbane. Please pray for Deacon Peter and his team that as they lean into this, they'll find open hearts willing to do this type of work with them so that they can begin to get results. And and, and, and Peter, I need you to share it with the world as, as you start to get results, right? Because man, I'm telling you, in the work that I do globally, I see the same problems everywhere we look. And so... Mm. If they're the same problems, my hope is they're the same solutions. And yeah, it really yeah, is an encounter with Jesus. And Phil, thank you so much for your time. Thanks yeah. for being here. God bless you and your work. Thanks, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. You're always an inspiration, mate. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. And that was my time with Deacon Peter Pelligan. As we pray for his diocese and their initiative, Can you do me a favor? Can you pray for your bishop, your diocese, your local priest, and also send them a note of encouragement? This is a really challenging time, both spiritually and emotionally, to be in leadership in the church because it's COVID and it's tough. And so your encouragement, your prayer would mean a lot to them. Thanks for doing that. Last week, I talked to you about rating the podcast five star, if you would, on iTunes, but I wasn't loaded on iTunes yet. (laughs) We are now. So if you can go back and do that, that would mean so much because it means more people will be able to get these podcasts and enter into these types of discussions. Next week, we'll talk to Catholic entrepreneur, author, and speaker, Steve Foran, who does work in bringing gratitude into the workplace. What happens in workplaces and churches when we have an attitude of gratitude? It's awesome. I want to encourage you as you lead this week, Be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.